As hard as it is to believe, it's September. And baseball is still going, and we have actual pennant races. 1-0 is laced towards a gap in left center field. That ball is back, and it is gone! Fernando Tatis Jr. in a line drive, three-run home run. Get out of here in a hurry! He's into double figures and home runs. That's number 10 of the season. Today, in part two of our chat with MLB Network Radio's Casey Stern, we look back at the trade deadline and discuss who has put themselves in a good spot heading down the stretch. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a swing and a belt. We got some thunder tonight. That ball's lifted to left center field, back towards the wall. Betts has done it again. They are out of their collective minds tonight. Part two of our chat with Casey Stern of MLB Network Radio. The trade deadline is now in the rearview mirror, and as crazy as it feels, it's September, and it's the pennant races in this truncated 60-game season that, first of all, looks like it might actually get to the finish line. So, Casey, how excited are you just that baseball's still going and we might get an October out of this? Yeah, I think that, you know, coming into this, the idea that the way I looked at it, Dan, was that we need to all be excited that we have baseball and that in its roots, the double plays, the big hits, the homer, the sound of the bat, a lot of it will be the same, but that we need to understand there were going to be unknowns Then, you know, we got a lot of that handed to us quickly that we weren't aware of, that clearly the league wasn't prepared for. Luck in two spots, thankfully, thank the heavens. One with that Sunday game with the Marlins-Phillies, right? The second time with the Cardinals, where they're about to go out the next day, and we realized that they they were going to get that second kind of rush of things. Once we got past that, I kind of feel like the the tenor, I'm I'm curious what you think of this. I feel like the tenor of the league is change it's not like there's been an apology but you notice even in the tone it's gone from i'm not a quitter and we are going to play to more of that conviction coming down to hammering down on making sure of everybody's safety and that the the tests go the way they need to that to me has been the biggest turning point of the season it happened in an office somewhere in park avenue for me and not really anywhere in the field because of that i I feel you know look knock on wood all things considered i mean who the heck knows but i i feel pretty good about where we sit in terms of being able to finish this thing off yeah i think so too when the first outbreak happened with the marlins i thought we were uh, like proverbially hanging off a cliff in in terms of the Uh season i wasn't sure they were going to get through that one and and then the cardinals one hit and i agree with you and and i think you know, what we've all learned is whether you're a politician or a commissioner or an owner or a player or anybody, the virus is in charge here. Like, we're not in charge of the virus. Doesn't matter, you know, how much we want something or we've got to respect the virus. And, and I think the players deserve a lot of credit because they're not bubbled like in the NBA or like in the NHL. And, and I think, you know, the however many of 840 major league players deserve a lot of credit for doing what they need to do, taking care of business as well as they have. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, look, you know, we you could do a long conversation. It probably would need to include wine to go through all the negotiating what happened there. But I, you know, it it was plainly put as, and there's blame to go around, but it was put out publicly with leaks and otherwise that you know, hey, the, the players are greedy and. You know, the, the owners are just trying to you know, reap the benefits as much as they can because it's such a terrible season financially and they're losing all this money and please someone pay the, the Ricketts electric and all that stuff. And it's like, to me, I'm happy the, the players have been able to turn that rhetoric around. I don't think they handled everything damn well with the negotiations. Clearly, I think they would admit that. But at the same time, I think they've turned around the feeling with a lot of the things that have happened. And there's been some good emotion. And the thing that surprised me is been the, the level of fun 
Because look, there's a lot going on and it's taxing beyond just what we see, right? Because you've got every FaceTime with the kids is different. Every time you sit there and you think a family is different. Every time you lose three games in a row and you know you can opt out, right? One, two, three Cancun in the middle of the season. I mean, which the Pirates whole team may do by the time this podcast is over. I mean, those <laughs> kind of things, are they make it different. And to me, to have not only the fortitude because it's your job, but because I think they have really had the perspective of how lucky they are in that moment on the field to not be bothered by anything except the love for the game and trying to win. I've just enjoyed how much I think, for the most part, the players are enjoying this playing this year. At the Anderson household, when he hits a home run, it's spaghetti night for dinner. He gets a big plate of spaghetti, so he loves the home runs. Tim in the air, left field. It's time for a pasta party. Cook it up. Throw in some meatballs. One nothing side. Yeah, you see it from Tim Anderson. You see it from Fernando Tatis Jr. You see it from a lot of guys. And and the whole tolerance level of how much emotion can be shown in baseball has changed dramatically. And that's a topic for another day. Let's talk about the trade deadline because I think a lot of people went into the deadline and said. I don't know how much is going to happen. It's a strange year, and people are worried the season might get shut down, and everybody's kind of in the hunt, so how many sellers will there be? And then at the end of it all, it was pretty good. I I thought it was a a decent trade deadline, especially given the circumstances. If you think of the headlines, like, does it start with the Padres? Is there no way other than to start with the San Diego Padres here? Yeah, I mean, he probably the headline writers had an easy one, right? Their front office swung 3-0 big time. (laughs) And I think... I've said over the years, I have not really a lot of times understood what the Padres are doing. It's one thing to not agree with a franchise in which they're headed, which they don't care what we think anyway. But in terms of anywhere where a fan sits or somebody covering it like we are, like I'd like to know if it's going to take four years to get there, but at least what the direction is. The Padres, that thing has glitches. You can't even get it to work. I mean, it's like an AOL dial-up because they went for it the year we went there years ago for winter meetings and the camp, right, and Grandal and then Upton and all this stuff. Then they didn't bail quick enough, said they were in it with six and a half out, I think. At the deadline, got a little stubborn. It put them back. Then they built again the right way. Then you've got an owner who says last year, heads are going to roll if we don't do this thing. But then you bring in a Jace Tingler and not a big name like a Girardi or others, right, like Joe Madden who's out there, which to me that even seemed like just typical Padres not understanding What's going on? Everything has seemed to make sense now. They're better in the room. Jason's done a great job, clearly. The Tatis energy has been the, the biggest kind of factor. The young pitching is coming. And look, they're not going to win the division. And I don't think they're ready to beat the Dodgers. But they didn't make any moves that are going to crush any part of the future they have. They had a ton of prospects to work with. And they gave themselves, especially with Clevenger and, and Rosenthal's look good already, an opportunity at the front and the back end to be able to beat a team like L.A. Because let's not forget, it was Scherzer and Strasburg who did that last year. That's how they went home, at home in a five-game series. So I love what San Diego did. I'm curious your thought. I, I, it's been a long time since I have felt, wow, you know what? I really think the Padres are onto something here. In the air to right field, towards the corner. It's back. It's gone. Welcome to Slam Diego. Grand Slam for Eric Osmer. For the first time in Major League history, a team has hit a Grand Slam in four consecutive games, and that team is the San Diego Padres. Not with specific players, but in general. But you look at their direction and where they are right now, it's hard not to love where they're at. Yeah, I agree with you. And to quote you, one of your famous quotes, prospects are cool, parades are cooler. I think what they're showing in the current 
environment in baseball is, yes, parades are cooler, but prospects can help get you closer to a parade because everybody values prospects more than they ever have. You know, like the old three-for-one Randy Johnson, oh, yes. David, well, Randy Johnson was on the other end, but David Cohn, Mark Langston, those deals don't exist anymore where you get that level of prospect because nobody's willing to give it up. And what San Diego's done is built up their farm system to the point where they can make five trades at the deadline and only give up one of their top 10 prospects because they've got so many in their system. To me, it's a model that I think a lot of mid and small market teams are probably going to try to emulate. We know they're trying to emulate it already. Prospects are cool. Prospects are cool. Prospects are cool. Parades are cooler. Look, prospects are cool. Parades are cooler. I agree with that, Dan. And I would just say this, and I always try and explain it because Twitter boxes are not enough characters. By the way, you said one of my famous quotes. My other ones are only famous to like my six-year-old, but I love you and I appreciate it. I've always said this is this is not in a vacuum, right? Nothing is. But this isn't, nobody said, because I always get like a tweet, oh yeah, we should have traded Bellinger. Nobody said to trade Bellinger, but this actually, I'll tell you a quick story, but the day this happened, which was an accident, because really if I could like, you know, Michael Buffer, I'm sure probably knew, let's get ready to rumble. I don't know ever what I'm even going to say, let alone that it's going to matter. So, but we were having a conversation about Julio Urias at the time on the air. Hamels and Price were free agents to be, and they were the big to be had. I think Lester too, I think it was the same year he went to the A's. I think Price probably, I think to Toronto that year. And Cole Hamels went to Texas and they win the division. And there were talks that the Dodgers could get Hamels. And remember that year, the Mets ended up beating the Dodgers, went to the World Series and the Dodgers had Granke and Kershaw. And I said, look, you could tell me he's the future Fernando Valenzuela all you want. I don't know who Arias is. I've seen Cole Hamels myself win five games in a postseason. And you put him in that three spot behind Granke and Kershaw on Granke's last year, forget it. Nobody's going to beat you. And your bullpen's not strong enough. And that conversation, literally, that came out by accident. But that's the example of where... To me, it bothers me. That's teams not pushing. Look, Jeff Luno realized it because they went in, stuck in before the bell, right? And the waiver deadline got Verlander. If they don't do that, I think they're out maybe in the first round. He changed the entire team. When you have a chance to push the pedal to win-win at a high level, like Kansas City, who normally doesn't do X, but why not go get Cueto, right, and rent? Why not go ahead and go and trade for Zobris? Why doesn't the Indians go give up two big prospects to go get Andrew Miller, who gave up, like, no runs the whole postseason? Those are the kind of times that, to me, you got to be willing to make that deal. And that's where, to me, yesterday, you look at the deadline in general the last you know, couple of days talking about this, I've been saying that, you know, the Atlanta Braves right now are the biggest example of not being willing to do what it takes to win. I mean, how much money did they make the year they opened that stadium, Dan? Like $400 million? I mean, they can't go ahead and get a, a player? Come on. I, I wanted to ask you about the Braves. I thought the Twins would do something. I thought the White Sox would do something. And quite frankly, I thought because they're the Yankees, the Yankees would do something. Were any of these really big surprises to you? Yeah, Yankees a little bit because I think, look, they may think, hey, we're good enough with all the, you know, the injuries are really the biggest issue. But we also don't know that all those guys are going to be healthy. So Davey Garcia's start, I thought, it's hard to say one start changes things, but I think it changed things because you saw how ready he was. And that's a guy, speaking of trades, right? Whether it's Stroman or other names in the past, they, that Cash didn't want to move. The Twins are the one that stand out in addition to Atlanta that bother me. You go back to last year's deadline, the Twins knew they had a shot at the division. They ended up winning the division. They had, I love Surge. They get Sergio Romo. They make a couple of small moves. 
but they weren't willing to go get that arm you knew it was going to take to beat a Yankee team you knew you'd face that they haven't beaten since I don't know what, like the, the Flintstones were around. So, I mean, we're talking about a long time. Now this year, to watch what's happened with Cleveland, to know Lindor is probably a couple months going to be gone anyway. So you got them almost out of the way, but they're still good. The White Sox have passed you, and you're just going to sit there and lose five in a row and then go tell that clubhouse, we didn't do anything for you. That is a straight-up ownership, losing money this season, not wanting to spend any more scenario because how they didn't get Lance Lynn, who I know didn't work there the first time on the cheap, but at least he's a guy you know, right? Always we see Jordan Lyles with the Brewers. We've seen situations where that happens again. But to not go for Lynn, to not go try and get an arm in the back end, to get to add to Rodgers on the right side with a Rosenthal, you got to get better somewhere. You can't watch these teams go past you. I was really disappointed in Minnesota, Dan. Arguably, the second busiest team at the deadline and leading up to the deadline happens to be the team that I call games for, the Toronto Blue Jays. And, and I don't think they went pedal to the metal. We're all in this year. They, they were not going to do that because, in a sense, they're kind of a year ahead of schedule with their young core and the expanded playoff system and, and all that. But they did make five different moves, brought in five different players, Daniel Vogelback, Taiwan Walker, Robbie Ray, Jonathan VR. Ross Stripling. So they made their team better. How much, I guess, will be determined over the next few weeks? What was your take on where the Blue Jays are at as a franchise right now and what they did at the deadline? Uh, I'll start almost kind of going backwards. I love the one that they snuck in really just before the bell and it got announced afterwards, Stripling, because chameleon guys, and I think the Dodgers were going to see really miss my eight in the postseason. Remember, there was a time a couple of years ago in the World Series striking out, I think, five Red Sox in a row. I mean, those guys who can do both for you, not have to ramp up or worry about any. Stripling is a valuable asset. Robbie Ray, I love Robbie Ray. The curveball. Robbie Ray strikes out the side in the third. D-backs and Dodgers, no score. Robbie Ray looking at Sharp tonight as we've seen him all year. Robbie Ray, though, to me is like being fan watching Robbie Ray make a start because he is like the face guy of a group that includes and he's better than Julio Tehran but Julio Tehran will be in there he's in the group Robbie Ray in one start looks like he could strike out 20 batters and then will literally look like he could walk the next 20 not pitch efficient but he can really get swings and misses and you know as well as I do especially in this game how big that is in the postseason if they work with him and can get him kind of righted, he's, he's out to free agency, he's got a chance to make some money. And I thought they did a great job with that. All the moves to me, VR, look, VR was a guy who he's valuable because of the versatility. I think the Jays are in a really good spot. And, and what I brought up to somebody the other day, think about this. You've said, if I would have told you where they are, that Ad Guerrero Jr. would have had to do a Tatis kind of thing, right, to help you make that jump. Or Bichette would have to be healthy the whole time and putting together another, and we know how great he is, but he's not even there. They have had issues and are still here. That, to me, should make you even more excited if you're a Jays fan. Yeah, Nate Pearson too, right? I mean, he only made four starts and he went on the IL. And that's why I think their window is still a year away because I think everybody's hoping that in a year, Pearson is healthy and looking like everybody expected him to look. Vladdy is looking like everybody expected him to look. And Bo is healthy, and and they got a chance to be pretty exciting. So last one, the American League, we think we know who the eight playoff teams are. Is it as wide open as it appears to be, or is there one that looks better than the rest in your mind? Well, it it all depends on the Yankee health, right? I mean, if if the Yankees are healthy, and look, you start to worry, it's so great for the game. 
I worry more as a a fan of just people in baseball about Aaron Judge being injury prone or having this be a story for him because he is great for the game. But if the Yankees are not healthy, you know, look, Gary Sanchez right now is not somebody you want to rely on to go carry your offense. They're going to have some issues. So I think that's a big part of it. But I've got my eye on a team that to me, like, I'm a huge fan of what the A's do. I would like to see Oden make this thing happen and, and, and make a nice run. I agree with you 100%. 100%. And not that anybody asked me, but before the season, I had Dodgers and A's in the World Series, and I'm going to stick with it. And I'm telling you, Tommy LaStella is going to get a big hit or a big sacrifice fly or a big something at a key moment for that team in October. He's I loved him as a pickup. I think every team can use a guy like that. And, and you want to get a runner in from third with less than two outs in the eighth inning? That's the kind of guy you need on your team. And, and uh, I think we're going to have a Tommy LaStella moment in October. That's <laughs> what so guys from Jersey do, Dan. I mean, come on. Long Island and Jersey, we're like cousins. So That's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> as, and, and, and with his story battling back, right, not being able to play in the All-Star game, all that stuff last year, that would be great for him to finish things off this way this season. Casey, you're a good sport. I appreciate you doing this, both you know, opening up about what it's like to be a Met fan and then talking pennant races. I got to tell you, for a long time at the beginning of your show, at 2 o'clock every day, you run this extensive montage of play-by-play bites. And for a while there, for a few months, you had my call. I think it was the David Freeze home run. You had a portion of my David Freeze call from 2011. And I would like fake errands. I would say to my wife, I got to go get something to get in the car at two o'clock so I can <laughs> hear that. That's how insecure I am. And then you, at, at some point, you guys change it up and it's gone and, and it's just broken my heart. Th- these are my issues. I don't well, have now real you issues know like being back. Emotional. Like, I mean, just, it, you should just literally just only listen on demand and skip two minutes in because now, <laughs> now we're going to put only, we're going to, we're going to, I mean, all of a sudden you're going to be like, wait, Syracuse isn't in the big East anymore. What do I have here? College basketball. <laughs> <laughs> if people if people only knew how insecure broadcasters really are. So Oh, please, you know it. I appreciate this. Have a great time through the pennant races and into October. Who knows where the playoffs will, will be, if anybody will be there and in terms of media, but perhaps we'll bump into each other at a, at a, at a ballpark in October. You as well, my friend. Much respect. Honor to be, and I told you that. I mean, an honor to be a part of this. Let's just get it healthy enough so that we can get. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm concerned about the owner's money, but I also would like great baseball. So let's 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 try in that priority order. Of course, in case the commissioner is listening, and uh, in, in case anyone's wondering, you you want to assess, but is I don't know where he is, but he's safe, Dan. Don't worry. Our thanks again to Casey for being such a good sport on the pain of being a Mets fan and for talking some good old-fashioned baseball on this episode. The races are heating up, and it's fun to be able to focus on that from time to time during this otherwise unprecedented year. That'll do it for this edition of A Swing and a Belt, produced as always by Christian Ryan. I'm Dan Schulman. Thanks for listening.